Welcome to the Coop Tank. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, coming to you from sweet recording in beautiful Mount Laurel, New Jersey. You know, if you have a podcast, a video cast, you want to do a book on tape, hell, if you need a studio built, sweet recording's a place for you. Joe and Matthew not only know what they're doing, but they're honest and they're great guys. So check them out at sweet, S-U-I-T-E, recording.com, or email them at hello at sweetrecording.com. Anyway, we have a great show today. Uh, it's funny. I ran into this, uh, my guest at a networking event. And she said, why haven't I been on your podcast? And I said, well, I've been booking a lot of people. And it just so happened. I said, I have an opening. Someone canceled. And I said, as my mom said, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. I remembered. I said, my guest had said, why aren't I on your podcast? And she's a, she's a professor. She's a motivational speaker. She's an author. She's a TV personality. She's a coach. She does a lot of stuff. Because wears a lot of hats. And my guest is Lisa Bien. How are you doing, Lisa? I'm great. How are you? Thank you for uh, having me on, finally. <laughs> well, no, it's funny because net networking, you know, so much stuff comes from networking. And, and we don't think about that. And if you weren't there, I, would, I had thought about you in the past. And, you know, and you start booking up and then you get booked and you go, you know, I want to get to someone. But then because I saw you, I said, you know what? I, I should have her on just because I saw you and you were fresh in mind. And, and that's so funny how so many things work like that. So I, I always say the universe works in, a, in, in whatever's meant for you comes to you, right? So, and I also say one of my best pieces of advice is always to people, ask for what you want. If you don't advocate for yourself and you don't ask for what you want, how are you going to get it, right? So I will ask for what I want. What is the worst thing that someone can say is like, no. And you were very polite about it. You were like, oh, you know, I'm booking up. You didn't commit. But you and I have known each other for years. I think that happens in networking a lot. We see each other a lot and we know what each other does per se, but we don't necessarily like engage or get. So this is awesome. But I am a big believer. You got to ask for what you want. Now, I want to get into all the stuff you do, but I want to ask you, what do you like about networking? What do you not like about networking? Because everyone has certain things. We all love something. And then for me, for right now, I'm just, I'm tired of people being full of shit. <laughs> and, 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 it, and it's nothing, I mean, I understand, I lived in Hollywood for years. Mm -hmm. Everyone's full of shit. I mean, except the successful people. But what? tell me first what you like, because you're a great networker, and then tell me what you hate or, or just dislike. So first of all, thanks for saying that I'm a great networker because I never really, never really thought of myself as a great networker. I don't really think of it as networking. Okay. So if you remove the word networking and you just say connection, relationship, that's what I always try to do. Now you asked me in the beginning, like, what is it you hate about networking? And I'll say what, and, and I'm, I'm a little bit, when I was younger, I really didn't like it because I felt in, unsure of how to engage, like how to start the conversation up. So what I would always try to do is think of things that were relevant to today that I could bring up that, you know, are not political or something, but how, how I could break the ice. Um, I'm not great at remembering people's names. It was That was always hard for me. Um, social media has made it wonderful, you know, that we can at least go and check somebody out on their social media page. Um, Man, it's, I just think it's about relationships. When I was younger, I would go and, you know, I would have met you and I'd be like, hi, how are you? Blah, blah, blah. And I think sometimes people think networking is what can you do for me? Like, so we should tell people you and I've known each other for years, right? So I didn't just walk into a networking event and say, okay, so why haven't I been on your podcast? You and I have a rapport. We've built over for years. We have a mutual respect. And, and we both know regard. Cindy, uh, Cindy Garnick, who yes. I went to high school with. Uh, yes. So, um, and then the, the thing that I think is important about networking is, is, is really 
connection and building a relationship. You know, it, it's kind of like if you go on a first date with somebody, and I, I'm single, so I say I, I make a lot of comparisons to dating, right? But if you go on a first date with somebody, you don't want to sit there and get engaged immediately, right? You don't, at the first date, you're not necessarily asking about the second date already. Like, as soon as you sit down, like take time, get to know that person understand that that person is a human being. Yes, they may have a title of vice president of blah, blah, blah. But I think what's really important is to remove the titles from people and remember that we're human beings. Remember that we have interests and we'll help you. Most you, most people want to help each other, but you have to build that connection and build a relationship. And it's not what can that person do for you? It's always, always about what can you do for them or what can we do that would be mutually beneficial for each other? But it's not about, it's about relationship. I'll give you an example. Ken Dunnick, we both know Ken Dunnick, right? I met Ken Dunnick uh, probably 10, maybe even longer years ago. And I still keep in touch with him. We still, we, we still, you know, check in with each other on social media. And so it's a relationship. And every now and again, he'll send me an email and say, do you want to come to the Legacy Club? Do you want to do this? I think it's about connection and 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 knowing that it's about connection and building a relationship that's what people tend to forget that we want to build on it it doesn't happen overnight well i'm glad you said that because i also don't think it's about call it networking i just call it because people say oh like someone called me a power network and i was like oh what does it mean i can like jump over a large building i mean it's like it's it, to me it's stupid you know it's like ranking things and it is about relationships and i think you know and i think we're both older you know, we're not 20 or 25 mm -hmm. and we don't need, you know, we know there's not that instant, instant when you're younger, you know, oh yeah. And I still think that's going to happen. Yeah, yeah, no. well, I, I, I'm kind of like one day, what, what am I going to be discovered? Is that ever going to happen? Know, one day? That, <laughs> that, but, I know, but, but I think, I think people put such now, and I think because the social media has just blown up, people put such an influence on the term networking, but you're right. It's all about relationships. You know, it's all, I've met people, you know, and Facebook was great for that. People I've talked to in college, you know, I lived in San Diego, I lived in LA. I, I know when I go through my Facebook, I have relationships with mm -hmm. rock stars, like real rock stars, not, you know, rock stars. Not like um, rock stars like me in yeah, my head. And, uh, exactly. <laughs> but I have that and I have act, and, and I have business people. And, and I think it's great. And I think that's the one key to networking is you just really look out for other people because you're, you know, the chances I've go to, when I was with the Coit Cleaning and Restoration, I would go to tons of events. I got like out of one of those events, right instant gratification i got like six dryer events or whatever but then you have to build a relationship and i think that's very important and it's good that you notice that but i know you do coaching and stuff like that mm -hmm. how can how can you instill that in somebody that it is about the relationship it's not you walking and going hey here's my card i do this how do you do because you work with people a lot mm -hmm. how do you instill say hey get off your high horse it's about the relationship well, I, I always start at the beginning and I always say it's relationship with yourself. So when you really understand the relationship with yourself, then you can branch out into having healthy, good relationship with others. So I kind of walk them through it, right? So I teach at university. Um, uh, we do a lot of practice. I've actually had, I actually do seminars where I get younger people in their 20s about to graduate college or who have just graduated college. And I talk about the importance of body language. I talk about the importance of eye contact. And I talk about listening skills. And I just try to really focus on when we're comfortable 
with ourselves and we feel good about ourselves, we then can go to an event and get comfortable and have a conversation. Cause you know, there's some days, and I also say, if you don't feel like going networking or if you don't feel like going to that event, don't go. Because if you're not in the mood, you're not, or sometimes we have to push ourselves. You really have to evaluate it. It's almost like a checklist, right? Of networking, right? Do I feel good today? What do I want to talk about? What is the goal? I always say, what is your why? Why do you want to go to this event? Who do you want to meet? I often will say, if I know there's a conference, for example, I'll say, I'll look for the look for the list. Ask the the folks that are putting the conference together. Get the list of the people that are going to be there, you know, and say, okay, there's so there's 200 people that are going to be at this conference. I can't possibly meet 200 people, but I can really look at it and say, well, I really want to meet X, Y, or Z, and make that happen. But one piece of advice I give everybody I coach for, I coach and my students, nothing is going to happen unless you make it happen. So don't say, don't think that oh, I went to this event and then, oh God, I used to do this. I used to collect business cards and I'd come home and I'd be like, okay, I'm going to follow up and you get really, you know, you're going to cre- I'm going to send them an article that's going to be really interesting to them. But sometimes when we're just out there looking at the stars, we have to figure out, it's great to be looking up and seeing lots of stars, but pick the, Pick the brightest one or two that really you really want to connect with. Well, it's funny. I, I would collect a lot of business cards. And you, you look back like, and you go, hey, God, half these people aren't even working where they used to work. And my wife would go, you're cluttering up the desk. I would get in trouble for the business cards. And I would always, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a hoarder when it's free swag. So I'd always get in trouble for like those, the, the disposable bags. Mm-hmm. And she'd be like, okay, we don't need any more Republic bank bags because the <laughs> Republic always has bank bags. Now, you mentioned you were a professor. And I know you graduated Temple, uh, right? Go Owls. My yeah. mom. Yep. And you'll like this story. My mom graduated Temple in 1952 as a marketing major. She was the only woman in her class. I was just going to say. And she was hired to Campbell's Soup before she graduated. So she's an an owl. She's still alive. But I got to ask you, you're a professor- For a long time. Yeah. (laughs) And you went to Rowan. You teach at Rowan too. How did did you go about becoming a professor at, at Temple? Like, what is the course you teach called? Okay. So- that's a great question. Wow. Um, so I'll take us, I'm going to take it a little bit backwards before I answer that question. So when I was at Temple, I was kind of getting by, right? I was uh, come from a blue collar family. Uh, I think we were the first generation actually going to college, my brother and I. And um, I was working three jobs in my senior year of college. And, and I would literally would like almost just hand in work just to get it done. Right. And I had a professor. Her name was Dr. Jean Brody. And she had such a big impact on me. She would hand me papers back with lots of red writing, meaning you have to improve this stuff. Right. And writing was never my sweet spot. So she just pushed me so much. She made, she said to me one day something like, I'm going to paraphrase it, but something like, if you could be a, you would be a great student if you would put a little effort into it. And she was the tap on the shoulder that I really needed. So I was walking down campus one day and she had nominated me for an award and I won the award and I was so excited. What was the award? Like, it was from PPRA, um, you know, student to have good outcome, you know what I mean? Like most likely to succeed. I, you know what I mean? Something like that. It was like, can't remember, unfortunately it was a long time. Too long, but anyway. And I said to her on campus, I said, one day I'm gonna come back here and teach because I wanna be the person that taps the shoulder of the, of the next generation that says, 
you can do this. You can raise your bar. Because that's essentially what she was saying to me. She was saying, raise your bar, believe in yourself, and do better work, right? So that's what I started doing. So um, while I was at Temple, I'm no longer at Temple. I taught there about 15 or 16 years, and now I'm over at Rowan. I taught public speaking, which I love. I love to speak, and I love teaching public speaking. Um, I taught media relations, a whole wide, you know, variety of courses in communication. And so it's interesting that we're having this conversation and tying it back to networking. I was literally walking on campus one day at Temple and um, I bumped into a friend who I knew just mutually from networking. And she said, hey, do you have any interest in teaching at Rowan? They're looking for some adjuncts um, over at Rowan. And it turned out uh, they, I, I made the call, you know, to the person I needed to, gave him my resume, and I've been teaching at Rowan. And I, I made the switch primarily because Rowan at that is really allowing me to teach the courses that I really love to teach. You know, if you're going to do something, you really want to love it. So um, I teach leadership and communications and business communications. So a large part of what I teach is how to, you know, how to write a good um cover letter, writing your resume, that's where my business course. So that's why networking is so critical because I'm really trying to teach not just networking, but honestly, in today's world, I have to teach social skills. I have to teach about the importance of putting your cell phone away. I have to teach about the importance of a good handshake. There's things that maybe you and I had, I learned through, you know, through having good mentors in my life. And I want to pass that knowledge on. So teaching started out as a passion for me. And so now when I get, when that direct deposit hits, I'm like, oh, I get paid for this. How lucky. <laughs> I was, I was going to ask you, what is it like teaching a new generation? Because, you know, I always sit there and, you know, and I, I went to Stockton and I went to college when you did a, a term paper, you had to look at Mike Rafish, you know, I mean, I'm, I, the, the, oh, the, I remember the, that too. The libraries, <laughs> yeah, the, the libraries library. had ashtrays at Stockton. They had ashtrays. You went was, to the library. Yeah, you and did. people smoke and, and the pub was right near the library. Yep. But now it's like someone told me that how there's like a software so they know kids aren't plagiarizing, but it's like, how do you teach someone? Because given, I do agree, I think social skills have dropped a little bit. I think that- Everyone's down on the phone a lot. I do it up. I, me and my wife were watching TV last night. We were, you know, when we're looking, she's playing with where's her friends at the commercial. I'm right. looking at scores. It's become our new toy. Yeah, but how as a how as a teacher, a professor, sorry, how can you how can you instill that in these people that it's like, you know what? You can't be a dork. You have to be assertive. You can't walk in, you know, like, oh, uh, you know, like that's the like the the bashful person when you're meeting someone you do have to look in your eyes you have to talk to them you know i know people who sit there when they you know everyone now when they date they date on websites you know I, when i dated you know well, i was a performer so it was easy to date but when i would before that you had to sit there and actually start a conversation how do you instill that into people you know and make sure they're doing it i mean could you do you test them on that like when someone comes in i mean how does we that do work? a lot of practice okay. so the two different courses so i have a leadership communications course that i just sink my teeth into because I, I think leadership is, I could go on and on. We could talk about that all day, right? There's millions of books about how to be a great leader. And at the end of the day, I think you have to learn how to be your authentic self and understand what leadership looks like and feels like. Then you can really be a great leader. There's no book in the world that's really going to teach you how to be a great leader. You can, anyway, that's a whole nother thing. Um, I, 
we do a lot of practice exercises. We do, um, I have them go out in the field, which I think is really important. And this is an assignment I've been giving every single, every single class, pretty much every semester that I've ever taught. And the assignment is this to, you have to pick three people that you want to interview. It's called an informational interview and they have to, so the lesson for me, for them, they don't understand it necessarily is how to open a door for yourself, right? Because if you want to meet somebody, how are you going to do it? Right. You and I, when back in the day, you had to call the person, right? And you, or you had to ask them if they could send out some information about their office. Like you couldn't just go online and, and find what you needed, right? Well, today it's it's at everyone's fingertips. So I do give them a lot of opportunity to go out in the field and meet people. And I practice writing the email. We talk about the importance of your first impression, right? How do you get that person's attention? So it's funny, I get a lot of emails from students that'll say something like, um, I have this informational assignment or I have an assignment I have to do. They haven't looked at my website, right? They have, they don't have no idea who I am. And I just think it's important. So things that I've learned through the years, I pass on to my students and I, I try to create what's called a best practice. And I tell them the importance about creating a, a their personal best. I do it. It's funny. Every year I have an assignment. I walk in for my writing course. I used to do this and I'd say, okay, any assignment I give, I'll say, so before you hand this in, before you hand this to me, and I make them hand it to me, right? Because it's a night course and I want to read the papers. I say something like, is this your very best work? Do you think this is absolutely your best work? And most of the time I get maybe four hands that raise their hand and everybody else says no. And I love the honesty, right? And I'll say, okay, well, here's the deal. I'm going to give you an opportunity to come back next week and hand in your best work. And I want you to ask yourself, why would you not hand in your best work? And so what I do when I'm teaching the academic piece on this, on the syllabus, I'm also mixing in life skills and I explain it to them and I explain the why. The students soak it up. They soak it up. They want to learn. Um, they're very different than they were, you know, 15 years ago. I will never knock them. They're just different. Doesn't mean they're good. Doesn't mean they're bad. They're just different. 2020, you know, had an impact on everybody, including the students. It was really hard, really hard. Let me say it again. It was really hard to teach on Zoom. Um, that was difficult, but we got through it, right? And now the students are back. And I think the most important part about being a good professor for these students is to be a role model and to really listen to them. And I really, I, 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 if they say, oh, we need extra time on this assignment, I'll give it to them because I don't know what their life is like. I don't know what, when they leave, are they, you know, especially at Temple, I know a lot of the students are just, were just like me. You leave the classroom and you're going to your third job or you leave the classroom. I was a cocktail waitress for years. I'd get done at three in the morning and then I had a class the next day. So I tried to really be fair and I teach them what a leader looks like by being a leader. Okay, well now you're a leader and you're teaching and I went, I've gone to your website because I always do some research. I don't write any questions out, but I do the research. Mm -hmm. And and you tell tell the listeners your story. I mean, because the book, you, you you wrote a book, a few, three books, right? Three, yeah. The Bounce Back series. Yep. But, you know, and, and you were very upfront on, on, on your website about saying, I mean, you were basically pretty much at rock bottom. I mean, oh. I mean, and tell, I want to hear, I want to hear the story and how you pulled out of that because once again, I'm a skeptic. I, you know, I always, I always know when stuff is BS and, and there's, and I hate to say this, but there's so many people that are full of shit out there and they're, and, but then they have a good, you know, social media presence or they have, like I always say, they have a great microphone or a great camera smash, you know, on their, on their videos. 
but it's all bullshit. But for yours, I mean, you're upfront about it. You know, you were at rock bottom and tell me what happened and how'd you, as my mom would say, pulled yourself up by the bootstraps. But, <laughs> but Pull my big girl pants yeah, on. Tell me, tell, me, yeah. tell me where you were and then how you changed that and then what made you write the book. Okay. The so where I was, um, I... <laughs> Now, looking back, I think I was no different than anybody else, but I talk about it. I talk about everything. I'm, my life is an open book for pretty much, right? Um, I just never felt, so my, so my story really starts when I was two or uh, my father, my mother were divorced. And for some reason, when I was two years old and they got divorced, I took it upon my, I took it, I made it, I made a story up in my head that they got divorced and my father left because of me, right? So we all make stories. We tell ourselves stories. And then now I teach people, when you tell yourself a story, check it. <laughs> Is it factual? Do you know it's true? So I went a very long time in my life thinking that I wasn't pretty enough. I wasn't smart enough. I just wasn't good enough. Like, why would my dad leave? Right? Why would why would a, a, a father leave their child? And it really impacted me. I had a, have a great, I have an amazing stepfather, right? And he loves me like his own, and I love him. But still, there was a piece that was like, um, I just must not have been good enough. And then, um, just like everybody else, um, sure as they grow up, you know, someone people say things to you to hurt you inadvertently. They don't realize this, you know, that they're hurting you. And so I just felt like I never measured up, and. I was the girl that always wanted, um, like if I went into Wawa and somebody like looked at me, I thought they were proposing marriage, you know, just because it was like, oh my God, someone looked at me because I didn't feel I was pretty. So if I hung out with the cool kids, then I was cool. So I was very much about needing other outside validation to get my, to, to feel good about myself. So where I was at the point that you're talking about, like bottom, I was uh, divorced the second time, right? Uh, both uh, my Marriages did not work out, but I have wonderful children to, that I just adored that came from each marriage. Real quick, why didn't they work out? And when you when you look back at it now, because uh -huh. you know I know my first marriage didn't work out because I was married to someone who was psycho. Now I have an amazing wife, and and we're gonna we got married four years ago. We're gonna last forever. Why didn't your marriage did did your marriages not work out? Because did you look at them as sort of like your father and think that they deserved no, you? No, no. So I never looked at the father figure. Okay, I never did that. Um, I think for my first husband and, uh, and I, um, I thought he was all that in a bag of chips. Like I thought he was like the bad boy and everyone's attracted to the bad boy, but you're not really supposed to marry the bad boy. <laughs> and then there were some issues that, um, you know, there was some emotional abuse and just things that really just weren't working for me. And, and, and at the time, um, I just needed to get out, right? So, and now he's, you know, we have a nice relationship now. And, and my second husband, it's interesting, that just should have never happened, except for the fact that I have my wonderful son, uh, Ari, that came out of that relationship. Um, that was a, probably just, that was a point in my life, I still remember it. I thought, he's a really great guy. He's X, Y, or Z. And I was making, um, I was, it was like reading from a menu and saying, well, you can't get all the ingredients you want, but you'll, you'll pick and choose some of the ingredients. But what w I did, and I think some people do it in general, uh, uh, is that they make excuses for what they really, really want, right? And versus, and then they, they take what they get versus really going for what they want. Does that make sense? So now I have like a list of four or five core values that, um, things that they're like, I call them must haves, right? Because, so many of us don't stop and think about what are the must-haves that I want in my friendships? What is what is it I want in that? What is it I want in a relationship? So I have the must-have. So I didn't ever, I never stopped to think about 
why I wanted to have a man in my life in the first place, right? I'm extremely independent, you know, I'm extremely, um, I don't know, I just, I probably just never really thought about it for me. It was like, oh, well, though, you know, we'll have good sex. Like that was the first, you know, that was the first thing. All right, well, and then like, what's next? Oh, they'll take out the trash and they'll rake the leaves. So uh, I've grown up quite a bit. So um, that's why my marriage just didn't work out. But where I was that you're talking about like the down and out. So I was on my second, uh, second divorce was just about, just became final. Uh, I lost my job uh, and I had to declare personal bankruptcy. That was all in exactly one month. And I will never forget it. It was probably the hardest time in my life. And how did I bounce back? Why did I bounce back? People ask me this question all the time. I had no choice. I had no choice. Who was going to do it for me? Who was going to take care of my kids? I always say, who was going to put the food on the table? Me. My, I had two kids that were relying on me. I also realized at that point in my life that I had to grow up. I had to get to know Lisa. Like I knew something wasn't working. I knew something wasn't working. Two divorces, what the hell? I wanted what everybody else had. I wanted the American dream. I wanted a marriage, healthy, loving marriage that would last forever. But you know what? We don't always get what we want. So I went to therapy and I'm always a big advocate if you I say everybody needs therapy. I go to the hair salon and get my hair colored. So why wouldn't I go to therapy to get my mind taken care of, right? So I went to therapy and uh, I worked with a therapist and we identified behaviors that were not working for me, patterns that we get into, right? We get into cycles and I had to break them and I did. And he, I'll never forget one day he said to me, you were one of the hardest working clients I've ever had because people think they go to therapy and they sit in there and they talk to the therapist or life coach, whatever, for 45 minutes or an hour. And they walk out and they're like, oh, that was a great session. Thanks. And they walk out, right? Well, that's not life, right? You got to practice what you're learning in that session, right? So if you're practicing personal boundaries, well, how does that feel? What does that look like? You know, open communication. What does that look like? How does that feel? So yeah, that's what I did. So um, wait, real quick. Do you think you worked on it so hard because when you grew up, you were sitting there and you worked three jobs. You had to work your ass off. You think that you had a workout that can still to that you said, you know what? I'm not going to, I'm not going to screw this up. This isn't, this isn't, you know, cause you said temple. That's an excellent point. Lucky. And that's a great point. Thank you for pointing that out. Actually, my parents raised me with an incredibly incredibly strong work ethic. I watched my dad work two jobs his whole life, right? And put food on our table and provide for us. We never went without, we weren't rich by any means. We grew up in Northeast Philly. We had what we needed, right? I joke and I say, I had my three pairs of pants and my four shirts and we washed them over and over again, right? Went to Corvettes and wherever we had to go, we went and got our clothes, but we, we never, we were never hungry and we always had a beautiful home. Um, I worked hard because there was this unsettling feeling inside of me that I was walking around with constantly. It's constant. We all do it, but I didn't like it. I wanted to change. Like we all have our negative side, or I call it like we have two people inside of us. Like we have the healthy version of who we want to be. And then we have this person that's like, don't do that. You're going to fail. And I wanted to get past that. I wanted to say to that voice, Go, you know what I mean? Go away. Cause I know I can do this. So I had to prove to myself that I could do it. And I did. And what I also learned is that life is an ongoing journey. It's not, you're never going to get the answer. And people think there's an answer. Um, and why I wrote my book is because why was a temple? I realized that, um, students were just 
they 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 couldn't multitask and they couldn't they couldn't look at the totality of their life right so they would sit if they had over if they got overwhelmed they couldn't handle it they would cry they would break down so what i what i what i realized and i think as a society is the breakdown is that we don't teach people really how to say no we don't teach people that how to we don't really teach people how to love themselves, right? We don't really teach that if you think about it. But we this is what we start out very young. We tell our kids, go to school, get good grades, be polite to your grandparents, be good, you know, be okay, but okay, what's that do? We need to show our we need to teach people like how to love who they are. And I wanted to know who I was without somebody else telling me. So what I wanted to do was take a white piece of paper and start over. And that's what I did. And that's what I continue to do. So nobody defines who I am. It's now Lisa. And so if something isn't working for me, I say, why isn't it working? I used to always say, and I take a lot of personal responsibility. I'm a big believer in personal responsibility. But while at Temple, I saw that the students were really struggling with this. So I went to uh, Paul Gluck. I think every Everyone knows Paul Gluck, but Paul Gluck is at Temple and he's the news director at uh, TUTV. Amazing friend, very close friend, great guy, mentor, everything. And I said, basically like, hey, um, we need to do more for our students. And at the time the book Lean In had just come out and I was all like, we have to do this, we have to do this. So Paul gave me a shot. Paul said, um, all right, well, let's do a TV show. We'll do a show and it'll be about overcoming adversity and we'll call it Bouncing Back. And I was like, okay, well, you know, like basically like who's going to be the host? <laughs> well, I, I always wanted to be on TV, right? And he was like, you're going to be the host. I was like, oh, okay. And so I learned, when I think of the first time I went and read from Prompter and went like a hot mess and it's still on the website, but I don't care because it shows the growth of where I was. And I did... Oh, I did amazing stories. That show was the great, one of the greatest gifts of my life. I did it for eight or nine years. Uh, we did uh, shows, we did real in-depth stories to show people that we're all going through something. If, if I asked you what was, you know, how was your day? Most people just say, oh, I'm good. But what we might not know is, you know, like you might not know about me is that, you know, my, my mother and father are in assisted living and I'm dealing with a lot. So we don't talk about that on a regular basis. You just see what you see and then you, everybody makes a conclusion of what they think we look like. So what I did is um, did the show called Bouncing Back and we talked about overcoming adversity because at the end of the day, adversity is our greatest teacher and it's our greatest friend. But when we're going through it, we it feels so uncomfortable and murky and we want to get out. But honestly, that's the point where we're really learning the most. So <laughs> Temple TV was my start um, and it was really for the students. And Paul Gluck turned to me one day and he said, all right, well, now you can write a book. And at this point, I was like single mom. You know, I started my own marketing company, and I believe that's at the point of my career that I met you. Um, and I was hustling. I was hustling. I was at every networking event. I was trying to get clients, and I was like, "Huh? Write a book? Are you kidding me? I got no time for this." I'm teaching. I was working. I've always worked two jobs. And then he was like, "Yeah, just write a book and tell your story of how you overcame adversity." And I was like, "Well, how do you how do you come up with that?" Like, uh, it, it, so I created the um, the bouncing back plan. It's like a four step program. I call it a program, um, and it's very simple. It seems like it's simple, but it's not, right? So the first is like identify what's not working, right? Identify what's not working in your life, and then the next step is like get clarity on what's your role. Like, take personal responsibility. 
I could sit here and tell you everything that didn't work out, but I also want the other person to take some personal responsibility as well. Then the third step is to really get get vision of what you want your look your life to look like. What do you want? Um, what do you want it to look like? And then map it out. So, and that's what I do when I coach people. I walk them through the program. I walk folks. A lot of people I walk through just getting the balance of their life back in its totality. So, yeah, I just love. Uh, I could go on and on and on, you've, you know. Written, you've written two more books, though. Yeah. And so the the first one was just called Bouncing Back. No, the first one was called Life Happens, Bounce Back. The, the second one was called Divorce Happens, Bounce Back. And then the third one is a journal style book where it's um 111. Now, I love 111. It's a spiritual number, right? It means you're on the right path. So I, 111 is my great number. Um, So... It's 111 tips that I, honest, I honestly did. My publisher was like, I want everything that you have done. And I was like, maybe I was at 99. And he was like, she was like, I was like, can we come up with some other? She's like, no, I want things that you have really done in your life. So things that I really do, like hug myself. When's it, like I'm single. I have, uh, I, who's going to hug me? Like I got to feel good. And sometimes you just hug yourself. It feels good to have that connection, to know that you're okay. Put your hand on your chest to know that you're okay. Things are going to work out. But the, I always say, you know, the other day I was talking to somebody and they were like, oh, so I, I can't, I can't go on. They lost their father. And, you know, they're like, she was like, he's my person. He was my person. And I understand what everyone means by when they say I lost my person because I lost my aunt and she and I were very close. And I felt that she was my person. But the older I get, the more self-confident, the more growth that I go through, I realize that the person that we really rely on the most is ourselves. That's it. I mean, yeah, it's great to have friends, but your friends aren't going to make you happy. That's external validation. It's great to, you know what I mean? You you have to create the life that you want to live, but you got to manage it. You got to manage your thoughts. You got to manage your actions. You can say you want to lose weight. What are you doing about it? Right. You can say you want to, whatever it is, what are you doing about it? So a lot of people, you're right. They don't do that. I know when I lived in LA and I was single, you know, I knew everyone in town, but I wasn't happy with myself. I would go to the bar every night. You know, and then when my wife ended up moving out to LA with me, I had to sit there and go, you know what? I can't go to the bar every night. I, I just because it's not behavior. And now I, I'll sit there like and just hang out, you yeah. know, and, and we could be in different rooms, but I found that inner happiness and the contentness. And it is very important because a lot of people don't want to sit there. A lot of people don't want to take accountability. They don't want to look in the mirror. Like I know for me, the, the, the screw ups or the non-successes I had are because of me. Okay, but because of my behavior or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I know that. And a lot of people can't look at that. And that's what's good that you can, especially with the young people, you can instill that. And with the books, you can instill that, you know. And so you're at the books, you have the coaching, you have the teaching, and then you're on TV. Mm -hmm. And we just, we're going to have something to talk about. But how <laughs> did you end up on TV? I mean, you had the Temple TV. Right. So that... So they knew it went for a while. People enjoyed the show. So we know you're not a hack. You know, you're not someone who goes in and go, hey, because you get it all the time. People will do a podcast right. and they get behind the mic and they're like, oh, duh. and they, they don't, but they just want, they want that gratuity, that, what is not the gratuity, what is it called? The gratification. The, val the validation. validation. Yep. So. It's the ego. How do you go from Rutgers to, which is funny, when I moved back here, I was yeah, like, you mean, oh, how did I, I go mean, from Temple, not Rutgers, Temple to PHL 17? My, my yep. And 17, me growing up, there was 3, 6, 10, 12, 17, 29, and 48. So I'm like, holy shit, 17. But how did it end up, how did that come about? 
So it's always um, comes to everything in my life. Well, everything. A lot of really great things that have come in my life is from Charlotte Felcher. I don't know if you know Charlotte Felcher, but um, she's a she's been a mentor, um, third mom, aunt, friend, just a wonderful human being. And she's always looking out for opportunities for me. And uh, she was doing the PR. She was hired by PHL 17 to help when they launched the morning show. <clears throat> and Matt at the time was the producer was looking for content. And they said, um, Charlotte said, you got to meet Matt. You got to meet Matt. And, and so I met Matt and then Matt said, you know, I'd like to have you on, come on and talk about bouncing back. So that's what I did. I didn't talk about my books. I think I talked about the steps to bounce back and how to do it. And, and, and in hindsight, it sounds so easy, but it's not like this. I walk people through these steps when I coach them. So uh, I remember, you know, Matt liked the segment and we, and I said, Hey, Matt, how about if I come back, uh, you know, come back in two weeks or so and I'll do another one and I'll do it about whatever. And he was like, great idea. And, and that's how it, it flourished. I asked for what I wanted. I said, Hey, Matt, how about if I come back? How about if I come back? How about if I come back? Well, over three and a half years later, it was, I, I was doing it for three and a half years. And um, most recently, I decided to kind of look for something else and think about, you know, everything is a journey. And I've just decided that I want to step back and take a little break. I enjoyed being there at PHL 17 for all, you know, th over three and a half years. Um, I'm just looking for what is it I really want to do? Um, you know, I would love to. I, I always joke and say, well, I'm just waiting for the Today Show to call me. But I actually, I like motivating people. I like helping people. I like coaching people. I love speaking. love going out to conferences. Uh, there's nothing more. Re there's It's very rewarding when you're done speaking and people come out and they hear my story and they have tears in their eyes and they say, that was me. Thank you for sharing your story. Because I think there's all there's a piece of all of us that we're insecure. Or we don't feel good enough or we let fear get in our way. And, you know, and in my book, I talk about it's hard work. And I had a friend who read the book before it went out and she called me and she's like, Lisa, you have to take that word fear out. I mean, hard out now. She's like, take it out of your book. And I said, what do you mean? She's like, you have to stop telling people it's hard work. People want to know how to, what they have to do and they just want to do it. I said, doesn't work that way. I can guide them, but it is hard work. If you're doing a behavior that's not working for you, you got to stop it. I can't stop it for you, right? And so I'll give you an example. So January 2023 comes up and I'm like, what can I do different? Like, I feel like I need to really focus on my, my, you know, my business, my life, and what can I do different? Um, and so I thought, well, you keep doing the same thing, you're getting the same results. So I said, let me try dry January, right? Because you go out with your friends and it's like Thursday night, you have a couple margaritas. Next thing you know, you're going out Friday night. Next thing you know, you're going out Saturday night. And then I was waking up Sunday and feeling like I'm really tired. Why am I tired? So I said, well, let me do dry January. I've never done that before. And I loved it. Absolutely loved it, right? So now it's dry Febu February. My friends are like, now all my friends are catching on. They're like, well, we like my one girlfriend's like, well, I didn't really need to drink that much. And so now I'm like, I was out for the Eagles, you know, I was out for the uh, Super Bowl and I just said, you yeah, know, I'm kind of in the mood. Does that, do you have any mocktails? And they had a, a Budweiser. It was like non-alcoholic Budweiser. It was delicious. And I felt like I had a drink and it just satisfied that urge. But I have to tell you, not not having alcohol for what we're in, Jan what is this, February 16th, 17th? It's like it's a month and a half. I'm absolutely loving it. So I always say to people, if you want to change a behavior in your life, do it.
And you can do it. That's funny. I went I went through a uh, heart problem of it a few uh, eleven years ago. And I walked out, and I I, I I was on an off smoker cigarette, and I'd occasionally smoke pot. I was in L.A., of course. Mm-hmm. I walked out of the hospital that day, eleven years ago. Never had a cigarette again. Never had pot again. Never even had drank caffeine again. Okay, and when it comes to the drinking, I love to drink, but I had a, a regular heartbeat, and I was in the hospital for eight days. And when I got out, I was getting married in a few months, and I, it sucks. I went, I was backstage to pass for Nick uh, uh, Nick Mason from Pink Floyd. And I wasn't drinking because I'd have a pocket defibrillator. And I was sat in my mind and I said, you know what? I look like a real asshole if I go in with a pocket defibrillator and have a drink. But you make that, once you make that conscious effort, you can. And I know I did that with working out. I would go to the gym a lot. But this week, I, I didn't feel like going. And so I don't, I don't kick myself because I know I'll go back next next week. But you're right. You have to put the work in. And a lot of people don't think you have to. And that goes back to networking too. You have to. Now, I have a question for you. You mentioned mentors about, you know, You've had a few mentors. I've been really lucky. How important are mentors to you and how do you pay that back? So I pay it back by paying it forward, right? So I pay it back by being, I've probably been a mentor and continue to be a mentor to a lot of my students. Um, I pay it back by helping anybody that just needs it and sends an email and says, can I I have a half hour of your time? Um, And I also pay it back and with a lot of gratitude and appreciation for the folks that have invested their time and energy. Charlotte Felcher, you know, Paul Gluck, these two people have put in time and energy in helping me. Paul taught me, pay attention in the studio, right? You got to know what, what camera to look at. You have to know your countdown. You have to be aware of your environment. I can walk I'm fairly comfortable to say that I could walk on a set right now and know what to do and and where to look because of Paul, how to read prompter. I've had great mentors, but Charlotte has led me. I am 56 years old. I met Charlotte when I was in my 20s. So I've known Charlotte a really long time. She has led me down a path of believing that life is what you make of it, right? You can dream. She always says, dream. What is your dream? And I just continue to dream. And I just I, I I think I pay it forward by by being a mentor to some of my students and just people in general. If someone calls me, I have like a lot of friends that'll say, Can you take a look at my, you know, my son's resume? Can you give him tips on X, Y, or Z? Whatever it is, I try to really give back. One final question. Where do you see yourself going this year? What would you like to un- what, what would you like to unfold? I mean, of course, I want to be on today's show. But, uh, you know, but <laughs> well, I do want to well, be. But uh, what I would like, really, what my my dream would be uh, locally. I think I would, or naturally, I, I don't want to say locally. Um, I I, I want to have a show that that focuses on the positive. I want to have a show that I'm doing the stories like I did at Temple, right, where I'm talking to real people every day and we're talking about how they got overcame adversity. Because I think the more we focus on the positive, it's what we need right now. The, The world needs positivity. The world needs motivation. The world needs to be kinder to each other. I would like to just do a whole show, just like you and I are doing right now, but you know, just broadcast just because I guess that's an ego thing. I love broadcast. I just do. Um, Or like, I don't know, maybe I'm going to do a podcast, uh, but I really took the time. I do so much. I do a lot of motivational speaking and coaching. So where do I see myself this year? I see myself this year focusing on Lisa B and enterprises and seeing where Lisa, Lisa, where I can make the greatest impact for me. I really, 
I'm so passionate about helping people. I want to figure out what's the best way to go about it. I think um, I had great reaction from my viewers at PHL 17. I love them. They would, I got lots of notes saying, thank you. Thank you for, you know, your inspiration, your motivation. I want to do that. And I want to do it as the largest possible scale I can possibly see. When I go to bed at night, sometimes I close my eyes and I picture myself in this big arena and people are just, celebrating life and celebrating who they are and learning to believe in who they are and getting past all the the bullshit we tell ourselves we just tell ourselves so much crap like we just it's like when you stop telling yourself this when you stop feeding your mind with something that you wouldn't even say to your best friend, when you start to really believe in who you are, when you can look at the mirror and say like, I'm really hot, you know? And I do, I joke around, I'm like, oh, I look in the mirror now, I'm like, you know what, I, I don't look bad for 56, right? And and I'm thankful for looking the way I do at 56, because there's people who are in bed right now in a hospital bed praying for their next day. So I try not to take that for granted at all, we're here. We're only here a short time. No one's promised today. I mean, no one's promised tomorrow, right? I, I, so I try to really just say, let's embrace life. But at the, I just learning to love yourself is is an ongoing. I don't want to say job. That's not the right word. But it's it's every single day. It's knowing your worth, using your voice. We all have to learn to use our voice in a, in a nice way. You can ask for whatever you want. Just learn how to say it in a nice way. There's 10,000 ways to ask for something, right? Why do you got to go and be a little nasty about it? Be nice about it. So I don't know where I see myself. I guess that was a very long answer <laughs> to say. No, no, you, you, you're very passionate. So I, I, what I get from that answer is this going to be something that involves your passion. Just yeah. hope, hopefully you won't walk out of here and a piano drops and hits you on the head. <laughs> exactly. Because that would be awful. Goal. That would be awful. Yeah. Anyway, how can people get in touch with you? So people can get in touch with me on my website, which is just lisabn.com. Um, I have a spot on my website if you need to schedule some time. I have it. It's on the page. You can contact me and make an appointment to talk. I am on Facebook. Facebook. I'm on TikTok. I, I'm literally on Instagram. Let's see what else. Twitter. And it's all Lisa VN. And um, I love when people reach out to me. Um, my books are on Amazon. My books are on my website. So I, I just, I, I, that's how you can get in contact with me. So people go look up lisabn.com. It's a great website. It's got a lot of info. You got to check it out. Uh, you can go to thecooptank.podbean.com to hear all past episodes of The Coop Tank. You can email me at thecooptank at yahoo.com. My entertainment podcast, where you can find over 950 episodes of stars you recognize is coopertalk.net. And if you need someone to speak at your event about networking, I know that. And if you need someone to be a, a man with the mic at your event, I will bring my friend Joe Ganjemi and we'll shoot a little red carpet stuff for you. And I want to thank Joe Ganjemi from SweetRecording.com. Uh, he's the best producer in town. I'm Steve Cooper, and I'll talk to you guys next time. Mm -hmm.